big day has arrived. A young student's graduation. After years of study, his skills are ready. He can begin his journey on the path of life. With literacy in his mind and discipline on his back, the young scribe is out on his own. A bright career is ahead. Two years later, word comes home. Word of the scribe and his fortunes following school. An Egyptian teacher, a master, receives news of his former pupil. What he hears, he does not like. The student has fallen off the path. He has become caught in a life of carelessness, drunkenness, and overindulgence. Dissipated, the scribe does not continue his works. Instead, he idles in pleasures and loses himself in a whirl of opportunistic lust. This will never do. On a large papyrus scroll written around 1200 BCE, a series of texts provide us a glimpse at the educational tools of Egyptian scribes. These texts include a range of letters, instructions, hymns, and manifestos, some dating back a few hundred years, others more recent. Among the many wonderful pieces, we find a letter written from a schoolmaster to his former pupil. This letter is a model used to teach grammar and aspects of morality. In this sense, we call it a didactic letter, a letter meant to instruct and inform. Whether the letter itself comes from a real situation or is fictional is unclear. On the one hand, these sort of problems probably happened all the time. People emerge into adulthood and find themselves wandering, lost in certain habits. Chances are, plenty of Egyptian scribes did fall off the wagon and not quite fulfill the promises which others expected of them. But we have no proof of this definitively. All that remains is the letter, nestled in a papyrus of educational texts. Still, this letter paints a very lively picture of what might have been true events. The schoolmaster writes to his former pupil, chastising the behaviour which has been reported to him, and reminding the scribe what he is capable of. Along the way, the schoolmaster gives us a good look at the possibilities for hedonism in an ancient Egyptian town. The letter starts in the middle of things. The schoolmaster is speaking. Quote, now, concerning the thing that I have been told, that you throw away your studies and live in a swirl of singing and dancing, I hear that you go about from street to street with beer fumes hanging wherever you have been. Don't you know that beer kills the man within you? It stiffens your very soul. End quote. Beer kills the man within you. I like this sentiment. I'm not much of a drinker myself, but I know a few, and my country has a real problem with binge drinking culture. The scribe in question, apparently, has lost himself in the appeal of beer and wine. Now, Egyptian beer wasn't that strong in its alcoholic content. It was more like a small beer, a porridgey substance with enough alcohol to kill bacteria, but not enough to get you drunk easily. 
so I wonder if we are missing some information about different types of beer. Perhaps by about 1200 BCE, Egyptians had figured out stronger brewing methods, and created more recreational rather than nutritional beers. Or perhaps a foreign import of some kind, a beer from Canaan or Syria, was available to wealthier Egyptians of the day. Whatever it is, it seems that our dissipated scribe had got access to a lot of the devil's brew. Naturally, this led his behaviour astray, and undermined his capacity for good work. Quote, I hear you are like a bent steering oar, something that gives no help to either side of the boat. You are a shrine without its god, a house with no provisions. I hear you are discovered scrambling up a wall after breaking out of your house. People run headlong away from you because you deal them bloody wounds. End quote. Alcohol supposedly increases aggression, whether that aggression is directed outward at those around you, or inward on yourself and your memories. Excess alcohol seems to break down your usual restraints and allow aggressiveness to flow unimpeded. Naturally, this makes the scribe both entirely useless to those who need him, like a boat's oar that is bent out of shape, and also reckless, breaking out of his accommodation, climbing the walls of other people's houses. Apparently, it makes him a general nuisance or a danger, an object of fear to those who encounter him. We can sympathise with this sentiment, I think. Who hasn't seen a drunk wandering down the street in an evening, and given him a wide berth, or even crossed the road to stay out of his way entirely? The scribe is in this position, unsuitable for good company, reckless in behaviour, and a danger to himself, or perhaps others. Lamenting this, the schoolmaster can only make a desperate appeal to the scribe's sanity. Quote, Ugh, if only you knew that strong drink is destruction, you would swear off the pomegranate wine. You would not waste a thought on drinking mugs, and you would disown beer for good. End quote. The schoolmaster makes a high-minded appeal. Think of the evils of drink. Take conscious thought of the drug, and surely you would abandon it for good. Well, not so fast. We all know the pain of a hangover, and the shame of a night spent in totally unthinking behaviour, but we still drink. Whether it's in moderation, one or two glasses a week, or a regular habit, one or two a night, humans still consume that poison and enjoy the act of doing so. After all, what's better than a nice glass of wine or beer, shared over a good conversation with a friend, or a glass with dinner after a long day, to wash away the stress and the dirt? That feeling is delightful, and I struggle to see how the schoolmaster, distant and sober, thought that it would work on his pupil, who is clearly very much enjoying himself. Failing the appeal to higher morality, behaviour which might be relevant to Ma'at, the schoolmaster turns to a new tactic. He reminds the scribe of what he has learned, what he was taught, what skills he possesses. In short, he tries to remind the scribe where he comes from, in the hope that this memory will jog him out of his state and restore him to proper consciousness. Quote, you were taught to sing, to the pipe, to perform, to the sound of a reed flute, to chant in time to the lyre, and to accompany the lute. End quote. 
The appeal is classic elite culture. You have great skills of artistry. Do not let them wither away for love of indulgence. Like a classic rock and roll biography, the schoolmaster is all but saying, You've changed, man. You used to be about the music. Of course, musical knowledge was a divinely inspired art for many Egyptians. Although the schoolmaster doesn't reference any gods, or ma'at explicitly, the concept is there behind the lines. His appeals to reason, to artistry, or memory, or morality, are probably not going to work. The schoolmaster is writing from a very different position to the subject of his letter, Far away in a distant city, and clearly in a much different situation, the schoolmaster really has no relevance for his scribe, who is wandering in the town, enjoying himself so greatly. His appeal to reason exhausted, the schoolmaster therefore turns to one final approach. He lays out the scribe's behaviour in stark, real terms. Quote, You were taught to sing, to accompany the lute. But you loll about in fancy houses, and the prostitutes flock around you. Or you stand there carrying on, while they do their attendance on you. You sit there under the lady's spell, soaked with their perfumes and ointments, with your wreath of flowers around your neck. Or you slap a rhythm on your gut as you stagger about, and then fall down flat on your face, and lie there covered with filth. End quote. Yikes. Enough said, right? The schoolmaster's criticisms are straight to the gut, literally. In the manner of Egyptian morality, he undermines the scribe's righteousness, his lack of agency and his total loss of personal discipline. Swayed by easy sex and idle hedonism, the scribe has become so lost in his pleasures that he has effectively descended from the state of humanity to a state of animalness. You can picture the scribe, bleary-eyed, gap-toothed grin, wandering around in a drunken haze. Being Egyptian, he probably wears little but a kilt, likely soiled and grubby. His belly protrudes, full of beer, and he hasn't washed in days. Yuck. The letter ends here, and we hear no more of this situation. Again, this is most likely an educational text, rather than a real record of a real situation. Then again, art does imitate life. Perhaps, once upon a time, this letter or something like it was genuine, and the scribe's shame became immortalised when it was incorporated into the textbook of future students. I'm going to guess that a letter like this did once exist, that the situation did happen. But perhaps, over generations of teaching, the letter was edited and developed and translated over and over again, so it may not look exactly like the original piece. Still, a situation like this is so believable, I think we should guess that the letter did happen. The criticisms of a wayward scribe are a nice introduction to some of the other aspects of Egyptian morality. We might talk at great length about ma'at and the high-flying philosophies of kings, gods, and priests, but a letter like this reminds us of the complications in life. A promising student who got lost in drink, a gifted child who burned out under the pressures of study, extracurricular activity, and too much expectation, or 
the person who went to school, did everything right, and then woke up one day, realizing that they hated what their life had become. These things are not unique to the modern world, they are part of the human experience in all cultures. Wherever there is expectation, there is the opportunity for failure. Hopefully, the scribe found his way back to functioning sobriety. If only for his mental health, I hope that this man did not stay lost. I don't want to end on such a down note, so I will close this episode out with an excerpt from another text. This text comes from the same papyrus and is part of the same educational corpus. It is a text we've looked at before. The text in question is called The Satire of the Trades. Alternatively, it is called Be a Scribe or The Instructions of Keti. The text explores the reasons why someone should be a scribe, the perks of the job, the comfort of the lifestyle, the positivity of knowledge. As it does so, it tries to convince the student who is copying out the text that what they are doing is worth it. In the closing paragraphs, the hieroglyphs give us a good look at what the drunken scribe might find when he returned to his sobriety. Quote, Now, it is good to study many things, so that you may learn the wisdom of great men. Thus, you can help to educate the children of the people, while you walk according to the wise man's footsteps. The scribe is seen as listening and obeying, and the listening develops into satisfaction. Hold fast to the words which refer to these things, as your own footsteps hurry. And while you are on your journey, you need never hide your heart. Step out onto the path of learning. The friends of humanity are your company. End quote. The scribe lives forever through his works, his words. He is immersed in the collective wisdom of the ancestors, and this knowledge can guide his path like an enlightened being. The scribe's knowledge gives him the opportunity to teach, and through this good act, he can enliven those around him. Ultimately, the scribe's path is a gateway to higher pleasure, and also to an enduring cycle of prosperity, as his descendants, in turn, gain access to knowledge and privilege. Hopefully, the lost scribe found his way back to this Egyptian ideal. Thank you for listening to this short episode. The translations for these texts are by John L. Foster, poet, professor of English literature, and Egyptologist. Foster takes the adaptive approach to his works, abandoning strict grammatical truth for the spirit and meaning of the words. His translations are the best way to experience these poems if you are a first-timer or simply interested in some of the wisdoms from ancient Egypt. Thanks to his grasp of English and poetics, Foster is able to bring the inner beauties of these works to life in a way that 21st century readers of English can appreciate. I have provided more academic translations on the podcast website, but if you like Foster's writing, you'll find a link to one of his books in the episode description. The lesson of the scribe, wayward and dissipated, is clear. Pleasures, particularly drink, can be a trap. If you or someone you know is having trouble with addictions, please take action. 
Find your local support groups or phone lines and extend the helping hand to those who are in a bind. Sometimes it's hard to recognize when you are in trouble. Your friends may need your help. That's all from me. Have a great week and I'll see you soon on the History of Egypt podcast.